Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Hello, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us once again. We've got a brilliant programme for you this week reflecting on England's T20 problems, the challenges facing them in New Zealand and plenty, plenty more. We're going to hear from former England fast bowler and World T20 winner Ryan Sidebottom worried about where the game is going. Guys now really just want to play T20 cricket because it's four overs, you can go out and slog it, you earn large sums of money, which... I don't take that away from players. Where is cricket going? You know, are they going to put more money in, in county cricket, in four-day cricket, or is it just going to be T20 cricket? You know, there's a lot going on in cricket at the moment. And former black cap Ian O'Brien talks about whether Kane Williamson is able to do it in T20s anymore. Tim Southey's um, been captaining the, a lot of the some of the T20s for summer, and and they've been winning. Um, so, mm. so when it comes to comes to another option to captain the team, Southey is, is there and has had success. And this week's test of time takes me back to my favourite ever test match. I'm joined by an emotional Dean Edley. I remember my girlfriend at the time coming up to me and going like that. And the first thing I said to her was, we've made a decision. The boys just want to have a beer on their own for about an hour before anything happens. And they just burst into tears. And I'm going, well, what's my answer? Well, that's not what the boys said. I'd come back to the hotel, step to the party line, but unfortunately it all turned down by the time I got there. Derek Pringle will tell us whether Essex can repeat their heroics of 2017 and Ireland's Gary Wilson joins us ahead of the World Cup qualifiers. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Hi, welcome, and as always, with us, and he's out in New Zealand now, which is great news for us. It's Johnny Norman. How are you doing, Hello, Johnny? Matey. I tell you what, 
I tell you what, Goffey, my missus is a Kiwi, right? And we've lived in England together. She's lived in England for 10 years. And every summer, every summer in England, she moans at me about the weather. Oh, in New Zealand, when it starts to get hot, it's consistent weather. It's hot all summer. Blah, blah, blah. Weather in the summer in England is awful. Well, let me tell you something. When it rains here, it rains more than it rains in England. (laughs) I haven't seen the sun in about four days. And actually, I'm a bit worried that the cricket's going to take place this week. It has been pelting it down. So, uh, yeah, I won't have any more from that when I get back to England. (laughs) But yeah, I'm... Do you know something? I went to New Zealand. I lived um, over there, did the cricketing thing like you do when you're young. I just played for England in the 19s. following year, me and Dominic Court went away to Christchurch. Mm. And exactly the same. I was expecting it to be very similar to Australia weather-wise. Yeah, it, it isn't, is it? I needed a coat. I thought, <laughs> what's going on here? I needed a coat most of the time. The weather was atrocious. And then I toured there with England... Um, which was a brilliant tour, by the way. Um, it's a brilliant after, country. Yeah, brilliant after after Zimbabwe, uh, which we touched on last week, didn't we, on a test mm. of time. But um, we toured there and it was just heaven. New Zealand after after that tour was absolutely stunning. But the weather, same. Bad weather again. i tell you what, the, the weird thing with um, living down here or being down here is that they, they don't have central heating in their houses and they don't have air con. So what? you're freezing in you're freezing in the winter. No air and you're, con. Mate, I have been drip like it's been awful. I've been in the house, me, my missus and my little one, a year old, he doesn't know what's going on because it's so hot, but it's raining outside. It is the worst and I think I think the humidity is about ninety nine percent. It is grim. Yeah, but let's look on the positive. New Zealand there's no snakes. Now, oh yeah, that is a blessing. You're right. Yeah, no, you are <laughs> the right. only bad thing about Australia right. is that big brown snake. <laughs> uh, at least in New Zealand, they ain't got none of them. I tell you what, can you remember? I will never ever forget um, when we were in South Africa, 2010, and uh, we went up the road. There was that gym, wasn't there? We walked out the gym. We were just walking back, and that bloke was walking down the street with a, a massive snake on his shoulders. Yeah. And I have never, I've never, you haven't run that far. You never ran that fast when you were bowling. <laughs> exactly, mate. It's not my uh, my favourite uh, pastime, looking <laughs> at snakes um, or seeing them. So uh, yeah, I, I was straight down. I was, I moved quicker there than I did in the gym. Put it that way. Anyway, okay. how's, how's the build-up going in New Zealand? Because obviously England. Disappointed. I think England had a, a long trip yesterday, a few delays. Um, yeah. They had a p- couple of poor games, if we're going to be honest. Uh, T20 yeah. over in Australia. Australia have already qualified, but yeah. the big games are going to be um, England, New Zealand. England England have to recover and recover quickly. Uh, well, look, i tell you what, I'm re- I am so looking forward to watching England play a team that isn't Australia, that's for sure, because mm. I worked out, OK, that if you had... Because all the Ashes went all five days. So 25 days of... England against Australia in the tests. Add another five days in the ODIs and then two 2020s. 32 days watching England against Australia. And I'm not sure if my maths is correct, but that is the same as watching the North London derby 133 times. So to say I'm a little bit bored of watching Australia play um, is not a exaggeration. New Zealand, though, after uh, at the start of the summer, they... Clean swept West Indies. 
They won 13 matches on the, on the bounce against West Indies and Pakistan. They were the number one T20 side in the world. They had the number one bowler and the number two bowler. And then they shot themselves in the foot against Pakistan, lost that series. And now Simon Dawes come out saying that uh, Kane Williamson should be sacked from the T20 squad. So actually, from nowhere, both England and New Zealand seem to be in a, a little bit of crisis mode. Yeah, that, the, the Kane Williamson thing is an interesting one. But as I said to you, um, I think with Kane Williamson, when you look at Steve Smith and I think you look at Joe Root, they're very similar. Now, let's be honest about it. England now, Joe Root's been done a favour because England are losing. With Joe Root in the side, um, it changes that. Now, Australia, on the other hand, although Warner, who is the captain at the moment, ain't got a run, Steve mm. Smith, they look a better side without him in it, if we're going to be honest, in T20 yeah, form. Yeah. Now, New Zealand, another great player, Kane Williamson. Let's say Simon Dole, who I used to play against back in the day, has come out and said, but Kane Williamson, I think he said as well, is, but the only way he gets in the side if he actually opens. Now, surely, with Guptill and Munro, I mean, why would you want him to open when you've got those two destructive players at mm-hmm. the top? Um, so, it's an interesting thing. When you want to drop your boss, best player, you've got to be careful what you wish for because Kane Williamson is a finisher and you always need that sort of player within your side. Now, with England, if they have Morgan and Root in there, I think that's when it could com- complicate the rest of the, w- the way the others play. Uh, looking ahead, to, we're going to be joined by Ian O'Brien a bit later in the show, but it's going to be fascinating to see because, you know, the the England performances um, have really been lost by the bat, the batting performances, haven't they? Uh, the likes of Roy and Hales just haven't got England off to a good start. Wickets are tumbled. And, you know, coming up against the likes of uh, Trent Bolt, uh, at the top of the innings, and then Ish Sodi and Mitchell Satner with the, taking pace off the ball. It's I don't think it's going to get any more uh, any easier for England anytime soon. Yeah, I mean that's the way New Zealand play. That's the way they've always played. Uh, they're normally with their seamers. They never really had quick bowlers. They were always mid eighties, but they had great change uh, pace. You can go all the way back to uh, to Dooley. You can go all the way back to Pring- Pringle. Um, that, that type of bowler, Chris Harris. Uh, Larson, you can go back and back as far as you want. They've always had mm. bowlers mid eighties who take pace off the ball, lots of slower ball mix. Now they've got two quality bowlers at the top, haven't they? If we're going to be honest, they've got yeah. uh, Bolton, Southie. Both of them swing it um, if the conditions suit with the new ball, so they can take early wickets. Then they've got players like Sodi and, and Santner who, who actually. Um, Take the pace off the ball, obviously, with their spin. And, and both of them have been ranked T20 bowler, the top T20 bowler around the world. Then they've got the Grandom, uh, who's obviously your all-round type cricketer. He's going to be the overseas for the Birmingham Bears. So they've got a very, very good side, an experienced side. And they're not going to be easier, let's be honest about it. No, they, they have brought in a couple of new players as well, though. And we'll speak to Ian O'Brien about this a bit later. Uh, Mark Chapman, who actually was... Uh, used to play for Hong Kong, and they've chopped and changed their wicketkeeper as well. Um, there's a feeling within the New Zealand camp, and this is why Simon's saying that Williamson should be playing up the order, that the, 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 uh, the big hitting comes too late. you know. And I've been watching Mitchell Santner coming in at six for New Zealand over the last couple of months. That doesn't work. And they're leaving de Grandhomme, who was six, very successful for Kolkata Knight Riders last year. He's coming in at seven. I mean, that's a, that's a huge waste. So I think there's big similarities, actually, because the makeup of the England team doesn't seem quite right. Um, 
and I've got to be say, I don't think the makeup of the of the New Zealand team does either. So uh, I think the other thing, Goffey, is that now Australia have qualified for the final. You know, you're going to have uh, just that extra bit of intrigue as well because it's right. uh, it's basically knockout cricket from here on in. It is. And, and it'd be disappointing. Let's be honest about it. England came back so well after a test series, which were disappointing. We were poor. I know we, everybody tries to sweeten it up and saying we were in the game and they all went five days and all that stuff, but we were battered. And then we turned the corner, didn't we? In the one day as the 50 over stuff, uh, we were excellent um, from start to finish. And it was an unbelievable, exciting brand of cricket. And for England to do that in 50 over cricket, yet we can't seem to do it in 2020 cricket. So we're playing the same brand, but we can't mm. we can't last 20 overs. Yet we were doing it over 50. <laughs> so it, it is, we, we do it the other way around, don't we? I mean, I mean, I don't understand. We've got everything you would need there to be successful in the game. Perhaps making the, those uh, resting Moeen Ali, Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root, it just shows how, it, how important those three are. Mm. If we're gonna and Chris play Wokes this, as well. Yeah, and Chris Wokes. If we're going to play this brand of cricket where you do need that experience. Although Milan were decent in the first game, although Billings played, I thought, decent um, the other day, um, and Vince was doing okay, um, except for his running between the wickets, wasn't the best. Um, <laughs> Not for the first time. Owen Morgan out as well with a slight injury. Yeah. Perhaps we are a bit unsettled. Perhaps we are a bit unsettled, and uh, we'll we'll not know actually until till the summer whether our T Twenty cricket is actually improving. Uh, well, look, we're going to be talking about this at some length. Ryan Sidebottom, who won the uh, World T Twenty, of course, back in two thousand and ten, will be joining us very shortly indeed. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talksport Two, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talksport Two. So, Goffey hasn't exactly been the best start for England in their Tri-Series campaign, as we mentioned, uh, losing the first two games against Australia. Uh, After four months in Australia, finally, they can leave and uh, head to where I am now, New Zealand, uh, for a couple of games this week. I tell you what, it has been shedding it down for the last couple of days. So hopefully the rain gets out the way and hopefully England can uh, turn things around a little bit. Uh, Let's hear a little bit from the standing captain, actually, Joss Butler, uh, who was speaking after the uh, the second of the two dis, uh, defeats to Australia, uh, and really just uh, looking back at a, a pretty disappointing uh, performance, um, but uh, which never really got going, uh, and it uh, was the poor start that cost England, as far as uh, Butler had to say. Another disappointing performance. We never quite managed to soak up um, the early pressure. You know, Australia bowled pretty well in that in that power play. Um, it exploited some little bit of indifferent bounce as well with the new ball, and and they bowled well. You know, we obviously being three down um, in the power play, never an ideal start in T20, and we never managed to recover. You know, we got ourselves into a position with me and Sam you know, with five or six overs to go, and then looking to really kick on. And you know, Sam started to threaten, but I, I never managed to get going tonight as well. So we never got up to a score that we really felt that we were, um, unless we were got them three down in the power play as well, that was going to be defendable. Uh, it's been a, it's a bit of a weird T20 side, really, Goffey, don't you think? You know, you've got five or six players who, uh, because of the ridiculous schedule that England find themselves in, aren't even in the side. So, you know, at what point... Does, uh, is it an England side in name only? Because uh, most of them wouldn't even be in the side if the likes of uh, Ali and Wokes and Root were playing. 
Um, well, I'd, I'd put it more as an opportunity for some of the guys because um, people like Billings, who just keep... <laughs> They just travel around with England team, but never really get any proper game time. He's getting a proper get, uh, some proper game time now, and I think actually out of in the last game, I thought he actually played with a purpose. You could see what he was trying to do. He scored it more than run a ball. I think he was the only player to do that, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, in England's innings, uh, because Butler, um, well, it's not his normal type innings, was it in that uh, second uh, t in that T20 game? So that was mm. a, that was a, a quite strange innings from him. Um, Dawson, um, left-arm spinner. We all know he's always going to be the backup spinner. I think he's a decent player. Um, I think it's this is the form of cricket he's going to be playing mostly for England. Um, Tom Curran gets a proper run out. I think that's a good thing. Chris Jordan, I think he's going to be part of the T20 side only. Uh, Willie with, with the new ball in hand is fantastic. He swings it. Uh, very similar to Siddy, side bottom, when, when, when he used to play. Um... Vince, um, we've got to give him some game time. He's the backup. Milan's a backup. But I think the disappointing one for me is but our players, we rely on us to get off to a good start. And Australia are struggling as well with Warner. Warner looks exhausted. Um, Roy and Ailes have not really got going. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, Ryan Sidebottom. Glad to say that the World Cup winner is with us now. And, you know, Ryan, I was looking at the, uh, the team from 2010. And when you look at that bowling lineup, uh, it's it's almost a test bowling lineup, isn't it? Yourself, Tim Bresnan, Stuart Broad, Graham Swan, uh, the all bowling four overs each. Uh, very different uh, way about going about things than what we're seeing in this current T20 series. In, yeah, I suppose. But in this current climate, that's what you're going to get now because the amount of cricket, like Goffey alluded to, that you know international cricket that you're playing, you know, you're going to have a squad of twenty, thirty guys coming in, and you know times are changing where you're going to have test teams and then you're going to have T20 and one-day teams. They're all going to be different and you're going to have guys coming in and out. So, yes, we did have guys that played on a regular basis in all formats. And, you know, I suppose knowing those guys and you have that camaraderie, you know each other's games and you have that variety of performance and, you know, you can all help each other a long way. Whereas, I suppose you look at this T20 side, you know, you've got guys coming in that are new and, and learning. They've been on the fringes. And it's not, it doesn't help, does it? I think when you're just coming in, you, you're only practicing in the net and then you're going into a big international game, whatever it may be, it's not easy. So you look at the likes of, you know, Milan and those guys coming in, Jordan, you know, it's not going to be easy first up to get up to speed and, and play T20 cricket, especially with it being so fast and furious. Hey, City, you're right. Um, you're right, mate. I mean, let's just be, be fair here. We've got Australia just coming back off the big bash. Where some of their shining lights, uh, Chris Lynn, Darcy Short, uh, Stoinis, Carey, uh, Agar, Ty Richardson, Stanley Lake, all those players have all been main players in the Big Bash. So they're coming into it having played lots of cricket, as the England boys, have you just said, have been coming off the back of basically just pre season, really. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think if you look at it, you probably think you would say argue that Australia is going to win that series because of that situation and the you know the game time you know they're all in good form you know the guys have been playing big bash so they're totally up to speed and with the England team you know let's not criticise them too much because of that reason you know you can practice in the nets all you want you know you can go on the bowling machine and have it on ninety miles an hour and hit as many balls but you know there's nothing like having game time and playing in games massive games where there's big crowds you're under pressure you know it's totally different and. You know, like you say, the big bash guys have been playing on a regular basis 
in those scenarios. So, yeah, England, obviously, they played pretty well, but Australia just looked, you know, the stronger side. They looked like they'd been playing more cricket. City, this is why I think players, some struggle, who think they can just be T20 specialists, which is the ideal job. Listen, we'd all love that job, wouldn't we? Just travelling around the world, playing T20. (laughs) But it's a very, very difficult one because if you're not, like you said, playing game time most of the time, because these tournaments are spread out and there's only a certain type of player. I know Dwayne Bravo does it. He's not someone who who practices a lot, but for batsmen... I, I believe it's very hard for a batsman just to be a T20 player, go around the world, because he's not getting out in the middle and having that rhythm, that game time, preparing himself. KP struggled with it. He's tried, but he's struggled. He's never found his real best form, has he? No, not at all. And I think, like I say, you know, during the T20 World Cup, T10 World Cup, you know, we, we'd all played regular. When going into that tournament, we played, you know, for our counties, we played mm. some test cricket. Um, so you, you sort of inform, and you you know going into those tournaments, you, you're not out of you know you're not out of rhythm, and you know that every batsman need rhythm, bowlers need rhythm, and yeah, I just I don't I feel players need to play more. They do, you know, you can't just turn up for T20 tournaments for England and expect to just turn it on like a tap. So how how the ECB or whoever's going to do, I don't know what they're going to do, but England have not you know played well enough, and you can quite clearly see because the players haven't had any as much game time as, as the Aussies. Um, I've had a quick look at the uh, the FTP, you know, the, uh, the the cricket schedule, 2019, 2023, and I think that uh, the powers that be have identified this as a problem because, as you say, we've just had a Test Series, an ODI Series, and now this T20 Series, and the players do need a break, so they've rested five or six of them. And the way the game is going now is that you're not going to see this anymore. It will just be a test series. It will just be a T20 series. Um, and actually, that goes back to what you were saying, isn't it, Ryan? In so far that you will just have um, almost like dedicated players to each format of the game. And actually, that will probably be better because it means the paying punter will actually know that when they pay their ticket, they are going to see the very best players that the country can put forward. Hang on a minute, unless you go to Sri Lanka and they keep swapping the schedule around and nobody knows which is coming first, the test matches <laughs> or the one day is. <laughs> well, that's what well, you then... should do, yeah, kick for everybody and then you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> 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 I, I just, yeah, I, I think that is the way cricket in this country is going to go. You're going to have three three different formats, all different types of players playing those, but I'm sure Goffey will agree. It's a bit of a worry for me in English cricket that, Guys now really just want to play T20 cricket because mm. it's four overs. You can go out and slog it. You earn large sums of money, which I don't take that away from players. It, it, you know, that is amazing. That's how cricket is going down that road. But, you know, then you're losing out on, you know, you've got your best players like test players. Like Joe Root, he's not in the IPL. That's ridiculous. I, I just cannot fathom that, how that player is, isn't in something like that. So where, where is cricket going? You know, are they going to put more money in, in county cricket, in four-day cricket, or is it just going to be T20 cricket? Are players just going to want to play T20 cricket? Do they really want to play four-day cricket? I really don't know. So where where is it going? Are players happy just playing T20? So, yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot going on in cricket at the moment. I think for the powers that be, you know, there's a lot of sorting out and where, where we're going to go, which which line, where, where which avenue we're going to go down. I totally agree with you, Sid, because I think it is going to be it's going to be a case of where we're going to have totally different teams. We're going to have white ball cricketers 
I'm going to have red ball cricketers. And I'm with you on the Joe Root situation. I cannot fathom it to save my life. You look at Kane Williamson, who's a, a very, very good player, by the way, one of the best five players in the world. And you look at uh, Steve Smith, both very similar to Joe in the way to play. I think Joe's probably got a bigger shot selection and he's got a better strike rate. Yet those two get a gig and Joe Root can't get one. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And the problem with the IPL, I think it is very... Um, selective um they do look after their own the coaches pick their own players and unfortunately uh city unless you want to apply for a job out there there's no english coaches in the ipl so um it's always they're always going to be the last players to get picked no there's none and also the worry for me is our franchise system in in 2020 is that going to be the same scenario i think maybe we should just be a bit more insular and look after our own and have our own english coaches so they're all learning and, and you know gaining experience and you know, let's let's make sure we have English lads playing in that tournament. You know, our top players, and not bringing loads and loads of foreigners and foreign coaches who are no interest, not interested. They'll just come take the money, bring their own players, and then they'll do a runner. So, you know, we we really need to look at look at that as well because we need to bring our own on. And you know, you look at English cricket now. We've some we've got some amazing players. You know, there isn't you know maybe a pool of fifteen from you know that you could pick from maybe as ten years ago. Now you could put, you know, you could pick 40, 50 players that can all come in and and do an amazing job. You know, we've got a, an ever never-ending conveyor belt of, of talent in this country now. Uh, Ryan, I know you've got to get off, so really appreciate your time uh, and Thank fascinating. You so much. To- mm. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us. It's uh, Ryan Sidebottom, uh, World Cup winner, World T20 winner, Goffey. Uh, and he brings up some, some really, really interesting points, doesn't he? You know, this is the way the game's going. You, look, you cannot have this situation that we have right now. And we, broke, we touched on this last week. You, T20 is the, the, the format with the most money, the most fans, and it's where the game's going, is what we're all saying, OK? And yet... I'm watching, I'm going to be, in, I'm in New Zealand, I'm going to be watching England play New Zealand tomorrow and the team is going to be all over the place. You know, the, it, it cannot continue like that. Um, and that comes down to making smart decisions about the scheduling and uh, just making sure that we have a situation where the best players are always available. And uh, how they go about that, I'm not so sure. But uh... Well, they've got to keep players interested. And I think they've got an absolute, the perfect model here now where we've got to somehow, we've got a young player who's come onto the scene, he's burst onto the scene, right? Geoffrey Archer. He doesn't qualify mm. for England for a few years yet. Now, what motivation is he going to have to play international cricket at the highest level? When he's going to probably be, just think about this for a minute, he's probably going to be a millionaire, right? before he gets picked to play for a country, whether it be the West Indies or whether it be England, whichever he chooses. He's already going to be a millionaire from cricket. Just leave that with you. Uh, There was an article in the cricket paper this week, and it asked this question. Um, Let me find it. And it talks about uh, Joffre Archer, the wonder kid. Underline just how highly prized quality death bowlers are in T20 cricket. Fair play to the 22-year-old, the Sussex man, for landing a deal worth £800,000 to play for the Rajasthan Royals. Uh, no disrespect to him, for he can have, uh, uh, he can have uh, all that money and do really well. Uh, but you wonder what England's best ever exponent of the art of closing out an innings might have been worth in today's market. Can you guess who they're talking about? Oh, I've no idea. 
myself. In, <laughs> in Flint off. In, it was all in right. full flight. Everything about Darren Goff, the bowler, was compelling to watch. His bustling sprint to the crease, the classical side-on action, the away <laughs> swing it generated, and his ability to surprise the best batsman with late movement back off a seam that he deliberately sent down just off the upright, all from a top speed of 90 miles an hour, from which he could also unleash a devilish skiddy bouncer. How much would you have gone for, Goffey? And no, you don't have to answer that. But that was uh, in the cricket paper this week. So there <laughs> you go. Brilliant. That's brilliant, isn't it? It would have been interesting because I, I, I kind of... You do put yourself towards it. I saw that Flintoff, that first one they got picked for, Flintoff and Peterson. And I totally get why they went for it. They went for about 1.4 million each, didn't they? And, and you totally get it. After 2005, KP came on the scene. He was of the course, most sought-after yeah. batsman in the world. Fred in 2005 was possibly one of the top three cricketers in the world. Um, and they went for a ridiculous price. I don't think I'd have quite reached that, but I think as I look at somebody like Malinga and I look at the the money he's probably um, gone for in the IPLs and I would say I would have been probably somewhere uh, around that mark realistically. Uh, but unfortunately, I missed it. But that doesn't matter. I'm happy. Um, I've got a good job and um, there's plenty of other cricketers. Wouldn't mind a third uh, of what some of these guys are getting. But um, listen, I'm... I'm totally with it with the Joffrey Archer. If he keeps improving, my worry is, my worry is, all he does, he just practices that form of the game and he becomes actually that sort of specialist. Yeah. So when it comes round to the test cricket, when it comes round to that stuff, um, it, it just might be too late. And and I, the reason I say that, I know Sussex have got him on, on contract now, but will there come a point where he thinks, oh, this is too much, I can't be playing four-day cricket, T- the Blast, the Big Bash, uh, the Bangladesh Cricket League, the, the Dubai tournament for the PSL, um, the IPL. I just can't do it all. And will there come a point, as a 22-year-old, he'll either get a serious injury or he'll just say, right, I've got to bin the four-day stuff for Sussex. And that would be a big loss because I think he has got a talent. Although... He's only 22. It, 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 do you know what I mean? He might not fulfil his potential, mm. but he's 22 yeah. years old and he looks the part. Well, you only have to look at Tamar Mills, his teammate uh, at Hobart and also Sussex to see just how quickly things can change. And hopefully Tamar, uh, who's back in England now, not but part that, of the England setup, not part of an IPL team either. That, hopefully uh, he can. Yes, yeah, go for it. Sorry, that backs up our argument. What we were just talking mm. about with Ryan Seibom. You can't just play one form in a game. T20. Timal Mills is a perfect example. All he's doing is playing T20 stuff. He's a bowler that... He doesn't need to bowl 50 overs a week, but he needs to be playing in game time. And the reason he struggled is because, let's just think about this, he's not playing cricket. He's gone out to Hobart this year, having only played for Sussex, and he has struggled because of game time. And if he doesn't find some way of getting some game time in, he's going to fall by the wayside and teams are not going to take him on. Well, hopefully we'll get tomorrow along because he's a great guy yeah. and it'll be very interesting to see just how he intends to bounce back from this and I'm sure he will. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket. We've got plenty more to come on the show. Ian O'Brien uh, going to look ahead to uh, England playing a team other than Australia for the first time in four months. I cannot wait. He's coming up on the show very shortly. You're listening to Talk Sport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Thank you. 
Goffey, I tell you what, uh, I remember the first time I watched cricket in New Zealand. It was 2008. And I sat in the crowd, and it was a year after uh, England had lost 5-0 against the Aussies, and I'd been to all those test matches. And I, I sat on the banks. It's very pleasant. And I just, I just thought to myself at times, listening to the Kiwi supporters, I thought, basically, it's England playing England here. Because both sets of supporters are more interested in how rubbish their team is um, than they are in rubbishing the opponent. Very un-Australian-like. And I kind of came to the same opinion in the last week or so while I've been in New Zealand. Because at the start of the summer, when New Zealand were beating West Indies and they were beating Pakistan, it was all about how rubbish Pakistan and uh, the West Indies are. And then suddenly they lose a few tests, a few T20s against Pakistan and Australia. And it's all about how poor New Zealand are. And that just seems to be the mentality of the place. It does. um, But I totally think now this England side won't be like that. I think Owen Morgan as an individual is very much a a guy where his mentality and the way he wants this England team to play will not change. And I think the players we're talking about within that side, I think one of the question marks possibly will be, and give us a little bit of an excuse, is but some of them are playing for a place in that squad. Let's be honest about it, because we are resting Mm. a few of our best players. um, And some of them are probably deep down thinking, am I going to be part of this side moving forward? And probably trying too hard. Do you know what I mean? Just being a little bit more watchful than they normally would be. Owen Morgan, captain in the side. Sorry, uh, Butler, captain in the side. That wasn't a Butler innings at all. That was one of the slowest innings I've ever seen him play. Well, let's speak to a a former black cap, Ian O'Brien, a former fast bowler and was part of TalkSport and TalkSport 2's Champions Trophy coverage in 2017. Uh, Ian, thanks for joining us on the show. Um, Do you agree? It seems to go from uh, either the opponents are rubbish or the the black caps aren't performing. And the stories in the last few days, Simon Dahl saying Kane Williamson, unless he's opening, shouldn't actually be part of the T20 squad. And Mike Hessen shouldn't be the uh, the coach. It's uh, all seemed to have changed quite quickly. I listen to what um, what, what Dooley has to say. He's uh, he's normally one of the more considered uh, commentators uh, slash pundits slash uh, opinionators um, when it comes to New Zealand, New Zealand cricket. It's genuine considered. Like he normally has has some pretty good backup, and I, and I think there is an issue with Kane Williamson at three or four uh, for New Zealand. But then, how do you get rid of? Uh, Guptill and, and Munro at the top of the top of the one day team. So so possibly, yeah, Kane may not play. He he is a good T twenty player. Um he has a pretty good T twenty record, but I don't think he quite fits into this T twenty team and, and the way they're trying to play their uh their cricket. But yeah, yeah go, going back going back to your first point, yeah, it, it is always the opposition is, is not very good or or we <laughs> we at New Zealand are, are terrible. Absolutely that is that is an absolute tall poppy syndrome that uh that is preached. I'll tell you what, it might be a blessing then um, for what we're saying here and all the publicity surrounding both captains for England. Because some even say Owen Morgan. I mean, does he weaken England's team? I don't think he does. I think his mentality um, is what keeps them together. I think down another 12 months down the line, we might be thinking different. So, um, because Joe Root might be that man uh, to take us forward. But when you look at it, he could miss tomorrow's game. He's had this growing injury. Now, Kane Williamson... He could also miss the game because he's got this back issue now. And Henry Nichols has been drafted into the squad. So I don't know if you know that, um, Ian. So he's been called into the squad as cover for Williamson. 
No, there's, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen Henry Nichols. I've certainly seen that Mark Chapman and, uh, and Tim Surfett uh, into the squad. Look, in regards to maybe Kane not playing, Tim Southey's um, been captaining the, a lot of the, some of the T20s this summer, and and they've been winning. Um, so, mm-hmm. so when it comes to comes to another option to captain the team, Southey is is there and has had success. A couple of new faces. Uh, the Hong Kong-born uh, Chapman and the, the wicket-keeper, Tim Surfett. It seems like we've gone through a few keepers uh, mm. uh, this year already, um, but just a couple of options um, given given what may happen. Well, I've, I've seen the pitch at uh, Wellington. It's an interesting-looking one at the moment, that's for sure. Uh, Ian, it's the, um, after Brendan McCullum retired a couple of years ago, it seemed mm. like New Zealand had lost their identity. Do you think their identity is back? Um, there was a lot wrapped up in, in absolutely, and especially that tour uh, when New Zealand came over here and played some played some ridiculous cricket, and then England played some ridiculous cricket and ended up beating uh, beating New Zealand. Um, there was uh, there was uh, a lot based around Brendan McCullum, how he captained, how he played, how he threw himself around the field, how he hit the ball, where he hit the ball too. Absolutely, um, but I think uh, Kane Williamson and Hessen and the rest of the the senior players, if you like, the Southies, the Bolts, the Taylors, have have made it their team again, as opposed to Brendan McCullum's team. I think it's more of a a team. Not saying it was a Brendan McCullum focus, but it was easy to focus on Brendan McCullum when New Zealand uh, had him. It's now more of a, a group focus as opposed to a one man uh, a one man band. I don't mean it was Brendan McCullum's one man band, but it is a it is a more evenly spread um, focus from media perspective and, and how I watch the game as well. Do you, when I look at New Zealand now, and I, I see them, I think they very always have been. I don't think they've ever been easy to play against. Always hard working team. I think runs through it, uh, team spirit and everything about it. But when I look now at some of the coaches around the world mm. um, who are getting T20 franchise um, gigs uh, around the world, you've got now Flem who obviously captained New Zealand brilliantly for years and years and years. Um, you've got Vittori, who's now got an IPL and um, a, a big a, was it a big blast. Um, big bash. A, yeah, big blast and, and big bash. And then you've got Shane Bond, who's known as one of the best bowling coaches in the world now, and he does the IPL amongst others. So can you see some of the, those, three, those three guys I've mentioned, as well as probably McCullum as well, being involved in New Zealand down the line? I think we're, I think we're seeing more and more of that, and I am a little bit surprised we haven't seen maybe one of those guys pop in as a as a as a consultant, if you like. Mm. Um, we see that happen certainly with the England team. We see, see um, coaches or, or former players pop in and pop out as as kind of consultants. I know you've been around the scene a little bit, Darren, every now and again. But I think that that needs to happen. Um, a, a fresh set of eyes on, on a group of people. Um, it, it, it comes. Look, the, the, what it comes down to is the confidence of the coach, and that's what I what I see around a lot of the places. Coaches aren't necessarily confident enough in their own abilities to ask other coaches to come in because they're worried about their own position. So it comes down to the confidence of the coach saying, "Right, let, let's have a fresh set of eyes on this." And I, look, I'd love to see uh, some, some Vittori come in and, and, and look at New Zealand. Uh, Fleming's, of, of, of course, coaching the IPL as well. So there's there's plenty around. Bond, as you said, there's plenty around. We had um, Gareth Hopkins, who played, well, I think played two tests for New Zealand, played a few short format. He coached Northern Districts, one of the New Zealand teams, uh, to T20 success this year from nowhere. Mm. Um, so there is a fresh, there is that fresh set of eyes on a team, which I think wouldn't go amiss uh, for the New Zealand T20 side. Agreed. 
I think, Ian, you've, you've summed it up, though. He's put, unfortunately, some coaches are just always <laughs> watching the back and some bloke... It's like, you see, with Australia now, you've got uh, Ricky Ponting, who's been yeah. brought in as uh, an advisor yeah. for Australia. And now he's come out today and said he won't mind that job uh, down the line. <laughs> but we all know Lehman, uh, Darren Lehman, is going to be leaving anyway uh, after yeah. the next Ashes series. So that job will be up for grabs. But I knew got... you'd like that one, Goffrey. I knew you'd pick up on that one. Oh, it is a brilliant one. But <laughs> just going to this New Zealand side, what always um, impressed me about the bowlers you've got is Bolton Southie, mm. especially yeah. in um, New Zealand conditions, are superb because he offers swing with a new ball, doesn't it? That first 10 Pin. overs yep. are vital. And they're both good at the back end with the change of pace. Yeah, we've um, we, New Zealand have, have, have uh, got lucky at the moment. A couple of goal bowlers are going really good, and then you throw in Satner, the left armer. How how important is it to have someone that can go away from a right hander? Um, and he's now got a Karen ball as well. So so there's an option there to the lefties as well. So we've got three. There's fifth, you know there's sort of sorry twelve overs in a in a in a, uh, a T20, and then you you make up the rest. Munro, De Gronholm. Um, there's a few other bits and pieces. It's it's uh, it's not quite as complete, I don't think, as the England bowling lineup, um, but it's it, it's working it's working pretty well at the moment, uh, and that's when the captain has to be savvy. Ish Sodi, I keep forgetting about Ish Sodi, world number two or number three T uh, Twenty bowler as well. Wicket takers um, that change games. It's 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 not a bad bowling lineup, but I like I like the England bowling lineup. But New Zealand have done well to put together um, a pretty good group at the moment. And they're all young. They're all still young. They've been around a while, but they're all still young. Brilliant stuff. Ian, always uh, love listening to you talking about cricket. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, get to hear from you um, over the next uh, month or so as uh, England, of course, embark on a five ODI series in New Zealand where I am and uh, then two test matches. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Coming up uh, very shortly, we're going to uh, be looking ahead to Ireland's uh, qualification, hopefully, for the World Cup with uh, Gary Wilson and uh, talking a little bit more about whether the West Indies are even going to make it. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio, Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Uh, earlier today, I caught up with the Ireland uh, batsman, Derbyshire T20 captain Gary Wilson. Ireland uh, embarking on another journey to try and make it uh, to the big game, the big show, the World Cup 2019. It might uh, be without West Indies, it might be without Ireland. Uh, only two teams can make it. And earlier today, I caught up with Gary Wilson and asked him about how preparations were going. And also, just lining up uh, just what a tough task it is to even get there. As within the group stages and the qualification with only two spaces up for grabs, teams like West Indies, Ireland themselves, Netherlands, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, it's quite a tall ask, as I put to Gary Wilson. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, we've we've got to play West Indies and, and Holland, as you said, in the group, and then if we win, if we get through the group stage, we go into Super Six, where we'll probably meet the likes of Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, Scotland, perhaps. Um, you know, there's really, really are five or six teams that could be looking to qualify for England, so it's going to be a real tough tournament. But like as you said, we've got such a good history with the World Cup, and I think it'd be a real shame not to see an Irish team in there. 
Well, I certainly would, especially when the World Cup's being held in England, which you would have thought uh, with the conditions and the fact that a lot of you guys play in England, um, it would no doubt come to your benefit. Uh, well, let's have a look at things because, you know, much of the narrative has been around the West Indies. Um, you know, a World Cup without the West Indies. We had a Champions Trophy uh, without them in 2017. Uh, it doesn't bear thinking about on some regards um, that they're not going to make it next year. But um, reports coming out of the Caribbean in the last week or so is that Sunil Narine isn't going to be part of the qualifiers. Uh, I don't think Kyron Pollard is, Andre Russell. I mean, they're going to be missing quite a few players. And, of course, that's going to play into Ireland's hands. But... You know, it, it's just a bit mystifying that, uh, unlike Ireland, I suppose, when it comes to the big tournaments, the biggest players don't seem to want to be involved. Yeah, look, I, I don't want to start speaking on behalf of those players, but I guess they're, they're just looking at their um, their own futures and, and personal lives and thinking it's, it's the best thing for them to go and play in the PSL, I guess. And, yeah, well, I'm sure it's disappointing for West Indies cricket and uh, I'm sure the whole world wants to see the West Indies there. It would be great if we could both get there. You know, it, it does help us. There's no doubt about that. We've, we, as I said, play them in the in the group stage. And uh, and then hopefully if we go on to the Super 6, that's, um, we can possibly take those points through if we do beat West Indies. So, yeah, look, it's, it's good for us. But, you know, I suppose disappointing for West Indies. You know, in the com- in the, um, the the way tours, overseas tours are are done these days, we've just seen India go to South Africa. They didn't even play a warm up, you know, and um, the, the schedule's so cramped. But it doesn't give any team um, that much of an advantage. It doesn't get them prepared. It doesn't get them ready. Um, and it says so much about Ireland's uh, plans to get to the World Cup that you know you've arrived in South Africa. You know, a good two weeks before the qualifiers even start. There's going to be no accusations that you're taking this one lightly. And I, I suppose it just shows just how desperate you guys and Irish cricket as a whole is to get to the World Cup. Yeah, for sure. I'm obviously credit to the guys that, that organised it. They're obviously taking it very seriously. And uh, we've already had one day's training out here, uh, quality facilities and as you said, we've got two weeks really to iron out any problems, any issues and uh, before we get going and Look, we're we're really excited about it as well. We know it's such a massive time for Irish cricket. Obviously, we're getting full membership and, and stuff like that. But you know, this is as big as anything, really. We want to be in the World Cup. We want to be going to England. You know, if we get there, we'll have a huge following just across the the water, as you say. And um, I think we can look forward to having a re- another really good competition. Um, you know, we always do ourselves justice whenever we get the World Cups. There's just something about tournament cricket that we really enjoy, and yeah, hopefully, we can get to another one. One of the criticisms um, or observations is that the, the team doesn't seem to have uh, changed too much over the last few years. Um, we're all getting a little bit older, I suppose. But uh, is there a, is there some new faces in and around the squad that uh, could make the difference this time around? Um, we've got a few new faces as well. We have gone for experience again. Um, you know, whenever you've got the likes of uh, Joyce there, you know he's thirty nine, but he's, he's still doing a hell of a job. And, um, I think whenever it comes to tournament, a tournament such like this, you know, it's, there's really so much riding on it, and um, hopefully that experience can count for a lot. But um, we do have a couple of new faces. James Shannon comes back into the squad. Um, he's a player with a lot of talent, and um, so we'll be looking forward to seeing what he can do. But you know, I think the old heads, it'll be up to the old heads um, to ensure we try and get there to England in 2019. 
Uh, one of the big rivalries in sport at the moment seems to be you guys against Afghanistan. You know, you, you, you're two, the two teams have played a lot over the last few years. And, of course, the successes uh, for both teams have been quite evident. But, you know, Afghanistan um, have beaten the West Indies in the West Indies. They've got players that playing in the Indian Premier League. And it just shows once again that uh, what is possible when teams like yourselves and Afghanistan are given a chance to show what they can do. Yeah, and look where Afghanistan, where they started, they started in a, in a World Cricket League and got to a World Cup, World 2020, and then 2015 World Cup and got put on the map. So, you know, it's, it's, from our point of view, it is really disappointing that there's only a 10-team World Cup because other sports are expanding, you know, cricket, uh, football World Cup, uh, football Euros expanded, uh, rugby's expanding, the World Cup, yeah, cricket's decreasing the number of teams. It's, it's really disappointing and you know, whoever misses out, whether it be Ireland or whether it be Zimbabwe or Afghanistan, whoever misses out, there's going to be at least two serious teams not going to England, and that's that's a real disappointment. You know, even the likes of the Netherlands, you know, they're they're serious contenders in this competition. They got Ryan Tenskada back, Real van der Merwe, Tim van der Gooten, guys who are performing week in week out in county cricket. So, you know, there's going to be a serious cricket team, at least one, if not two, that misses out for this World Cup. And, you know, it's just really disappointing. But as I said, that's not up to us. We've just got to get our head down and try and make sure that we're one of the two. You are right, actually. When I look at some of these teams, you know, Zimbabwe famously beat Australia uh, not that long ago in a T20 uh, World Cup, and also famously in a uh, in a World Cup back in the uh, in the nineties, uh, um, no, the eighties with Duncan Fletcher and Afghanistan pushed England very close at the last World T20. You've beaten England. Netherlands have beaten England. West Indies have beaten England. Uh, it is a bit ridiculous, but I suppose. In some regards, and, you know, this is a topic that we have spoken about at quite some length in the past, you know, there does seem to be some murmurings now that the uh, cricket world is going to look to the Olympics as a way of, you know, growing the game. And hopefully, if the BCCI can be convinced, um, you know, it may actually open a door to the sport, but in a bit of a backwards way of doing things, if you're not actually going to let them into the own, their own World Cup. Yeah, I, look, I think... Something has to be done, whether it's the Olympics or or World Cups or whatever it is. But you know, to only have ten teams and and be calling it a World Cup, you know, it's it's not really. It's a, it's a Champions Trophy, really, with a couple of extra teams. And of course, there's going to be less meaningless games. But you know, we've we've heard rumours that it's potentially going to be a complete round robin. Now, if it's a complete round robin, there's going to be more meaningless games because there's going to be teams halfway through that that know they can't win. So. Yeah, look, it's a bit confusing, but as I said, it's not really up to us. It's, we've just got to do our best to make sure we're one of the two teams that qualify and, uh, and hope we, uh, when we do qualify, we get to, get to England and perform like we know we can, like we have done over the last few World Cups and, and put on a good show. Brilliant stuff. Gary, thanks, mate. Go well and, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Cheers. Eh? We'll be seeing you at the World Cup in 2019. Cheers, bud. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Top Sport 2. Gary Wilson uh, talking to me a little bit earlier today. Uh, they certainly get their preparations right, Ireland. Can't be said for West Indies. And, I mean, what's going on, Goffey? This is a, the West Indies won the World Cup, the first two World Cups. And now you've got a situation where Sonny Narine, Andre Russell, Kyron Pollard and Darren Bravo have all said, no, we're not going to go and play for West Indies to try and get to a World Cup. We're going to play in the Pakistani Super League. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, West Indies, uh, some of my heroes growing up, and the way I played my cricket, if you uh, remember back to when I used to play, was very much West Indian, just try and run in and bowl as fast as I can, and when you bat, try and hit the ball as far as you, fa- you, you can. That was the way I played my cricket, very West Indian. In fact, Mike Watkinson, uh, when we played against Lancashire, he called me the first uh, West Indian uh, to play for Yorkshire. Uh, the way I used to play back in the day, and it, I, I would be gutted if if they didn't make the World Cup. I think it's it's almost not complete without West Indies in it, and mm. to, to be in the position they're in now, where they might not qualify for the World Cup, that would be hugely disappointing. The crowd draw; they've got some fantastic players. I think they have been going through a difficult uh, time of late. We've seen that. They're trying to get things right. They've got the right chief exec in place now. We know him, don't we, Gravesy? Yeah. Uh, who's doing... Johnny uh, Graves. Yeah, Johnny Graves with PCA and everything. He's doing a good job. The coach, the coaching um, lineup uh, looks good as well. Uh, got some yeah, discipline. Jimmy Adams is there, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, it's got some discipline to it. So they're getting the structure right. But the biggest problem... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. From there, Gunnarav is the pay structure and all the players follow the money. Uh, because the money on offer for West Indies contracts is nothing compared. They're not as lucky as the England players or the Indian players or the Australian or New Zealand players. Their contracts, board contracts, are worth nothing. And they're just going to... They, they, they do, and you've got so many of them who just go around the world playing in these franchise tournaments. You've got the Pollards, your Dwayne Bravo, your Russells, um, your Narines, uh, your Gale... All these type of players earn more money. Evan Lewis now uh, earn more money by playing in these competitions. Sad state of affairs. And mm. uh, I don't think people just watch England cricket. You know, they don't really take a, a worldview uh, look at the game. I don't think people realise. They watch Lords every, su- every summer. They see a packed crowd and they think, oh, test cricket's fine. Well, it ain't fine if there's nobody to play. But that's uh, 
topic for another day. Uh, you're listening to Darren Goss Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of time! With Darren Goff on TalkSport 2. Bad ball, and there it goes, well played Alex Stewart. That ball's running very fast over the outfield again, and they will run for Chance of doing that at the MCG, a big ground, lovely innings. One of the best. It's got in! Six, what a performance. Dude, beauty, what a delivery. Perfect length, he's got it just right. Oh, what a catch, what a catch, he's got it. Rampra Cash all fired up there. Come on, lads, he's saying. Another one or two of those and we could just swing this one. What a catch, full length, dive to his right. Beautiful catch. That could make a little bit of a difference. Hit him on the toe. He's getting him, he's getting him. What a test match, what a performance by the England bowlers, Morelli, Hedley, and in the end, Goff, a magical moment for test cricket on this ground once again. Oh, I tell you what, Goffy, I've got goosebumps and I'm smiling from ear to ear. And if uh, I am, you and our guest now, Dean Headley, must be doing uh, exactly the same thing. Memories, 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 gentlemen. Uh, but, of course, the start of the test match and the build-up to it, uh, the mood must have been anything but. Yeah, I think for me, um, I, all I can remember about it, uh, well, I remember loads about the game because it's still my favourite test match I've ever played in. I really mean that. But um, the build-up was, um, well, it, it's actually funny when you think about it. It was Christmas. We were, we were having a mare. Let's be honest about it. We'd gone into Australia on the back of some uh, good cricket, uh, beat South Africa. Alex Stewart was captain, brought a different kind of energy to the side, that up and at them, uh, type character that Alec is. Uh, we lost against Sri Lanka um, on an absolute Bunsen at uh, the Oval, which knocked us back a little bit. But then we went to Australia and we just were uh, just well, we just couldn't get it right. And then we went to a. Um, uh, I was rested for this game. We played against an Aussie A team in Hobart. Hobart. Yeah, yeah. and it was unbelievable. Um, I got the week off along with Alex Stewart and a few of the cricketers. I can't remember who else took that game off, but I we was got one to. Of them. Were you one of them? Yeah. <laughs> so we Me got. Yeah, we got told, didn't we, uh, Dino? But whatever happens, don't set them any target because they've got no bowlers and they just wanted to chase a target. And what did others do who were captaining in the game? He set them a target. Absolute target. You tell it, Dino, because I've never seen it like I was. I remember I was watching well, that day. Well, it was a stiff target. I mean, um, I think the players that were off were allowed to go away from the ground for a little while. So um, I don't think I was there at the very end. But... Um, I think we set them something like five and a half and over, and they got it with about ten overs to spare. I mean, they just absolutely caned us everywhere. Um, but my my memories of the whole tour, though, is that we dropped catches, and that is the biggest thing playing against the Aussies over the six test matches that I did home and, home and away, that we dropped pivotal catches. And so, like, Gus Fraser's catch at Brisbane, and then Healy went on and got 100 and something, and those are the only ones he scored that series. That was off me, so, that. I'll never forget that. Don't worry about that. Yeah. I had two, if you remember that, knowing about Brisbane, um, I ended up in that game. <laughs> I don't know how I came Were back you in from a good it. in position in that game? Yeah, I came back from that game, though, at the end of it. I had a bad week. My granddad died just before the test, so I wasn't supposed to go to play anyway. 
So we got to die the night before. I got 176 in the game. And I had two catches dropped in two balls, if you remember. Nasser dropped it at slip, uh, dropped Steve Waugh. He went on and got a biggie. Um, <laughs> and then next ball, believe it or not, they dropped it and they ran one. Next ball, Ian Ely got dropped by Fraser. An absolute <laughs> dolly running in. And so I had two in two and went for 176. And my granddad died. I had a shocking start to the series. <laughs> Not great. I, I, I actually don't think, you know, every, every time I played against Australia, I think there's only one test match where we got outplayed from start to finish, and that was Adelaide. Mm. Um, I remember Headley when, when Smith made his debut at Headley. And, um, you know, people say, you know, he should never have played. But if Matthew Elliott would have been caught by Thorpe, they would have been 50 for five. You know, we get our next wicket for 300. So, in, in, against the best team in the world, you cannot keep dropping what you term as regular catches. Mm. Let's just go Let's go into Melbourne, Dino, because it is such a, an, an unbelievable test match. And uh, it was especially for, for, for you in the end. But like I said, we got into it. And we'd been battered. All I can remember, we got battered left, right and centre by the media. Worst England team ever to come to these shores. And it's going to be an absolute... They're going to get rinsed from in, in on here because Melbourne and Sydney, they're never going to do well there. Um, it was a boxing day. Um, he ended up raining all day, boxing day, by the way. But what, what I'm trying to say is, but nobody give us any hope, did they, going into that match? No, but the, it's, it's really difficult because people talk a lot on the outside of the team, but... I know the people that went on that field. Um, the only thing I'd change is that I, I do think that we we were not looking to get beaten, and I think the attitude needs to mm. change is that we go out and, and and take it to them, and that's how we played our cricket at the end of the Melbourne, and also well, I actually think all the way through the Melbourne Test match we did go at them. You know, Hickey went out and played shots. Alec went out and played shots. We brought in Heggy. We brought Alec up the order. Um, that's you know, so we did we did change things about, and I think at Melbourne and Sydney, Sydney especially, we matched them from start to finish. Yes, at Melbourne we pulled it out of the bag, but it just it just showed what fight was in that team, I'm, you know. And there were some good fighters in that team. I'm with you, Dino. Listen, I, I always say that I played uh, for England in a few Ashes series, but I always thought going into them we had a, a chance. I'm not so sure everybody else thought that same way. Um, and we're all, we all made up. Di- we're all, we are all made up differently. But like you say, you look through both sides there. Some fantastic cricketers. You look at England's team, and some of these guys will go down as some of the best ever. I mean, Atherton and Stewart, Mark Butcher, Nasser Hussain, Ramps Hick, Warren Egg came in. He, he benefited from Alec going up the order. Malali. Headley, yeah, Goff, Razor, Malali. And then you look at um, Australia side, which is ridiculous when I think about some of the players they had. <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> Slater, Langer, Mark Waugh, Steve Waugh, Lehman, Healy, Fleming, Nicholson, whose debut it was, um, I think he only played that game, uh, Stuart McGill, uh, who got over 300 test wickets, and McGrath, who got, well, I've forgotten how many he got, he got that do you, know what made me, do you know what made me laugh about that? And I don't know whether they did it on purpose. Every time a batsman comes to the wicket in Australia, on the big screen it gives them their first-class stats as well, not just their test stats, their first-class stats. And every single one of our batsmen that walked out, apart from, and I think it's Crawley, he's the only one who averages 51. And you walk in and, and you have a look and it says, um, you know, <laughs> um, Slater comes out, averages 45, averages 51 at first class. And every single one of those Aussie batsmen averaged 50 at first class. I know. Every single one. And you think, 
you know, sometimes we take a bit of a guess as to why people get there. They get there because they fill the stats. You know, there's no luck about their system. It's a vertical system. There's a way to play for Australia, and every eight-year-old in Australia knows the pathway. Well, they had um, a problem there, didn't they, Dino, at six? Because you've got it spot on there, and the reason it goes on stats, there was a, one place there up for grabs, and it was either... It was going to be either Ponting, it was either going to be, uh, at this stage, it was either going to be Ponting, it was either going to be Damian Martin, it was either going to be Lehman, Stewie Law, uh, Greg Blewett, um, didn't really matter Michael Bevan. Yeah, there were six of them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. They were all churning out the runs, all ready to play. All just, you know, a very good Australian side. And, um, you know, that, it, <laughs> it, was a, it was a funny one because um, the, the whole test match was just geared up. England fans... Some England fans left. Um, I think the amount of people that have said to me, um, oh, when I was there, I reckon there must have been 200,000 people in that ground. Um, but, yeah, um, it was very emotional for me when I, when I finished, when, when you took those last two wickets. And I want, I want that sort of cricketer. You got, you, did you get six for in the first innings? Um, he five, he got think. a fifer. I tell you what, yeah. that's a good little little uh, little point to come in, actually, uh, Dean. Because let's just have a little listen back to some of the highlights from England's first innings. Uh, batted first um, and scored two hundred and seventy. Thanks to the uh, to the governor scoring a century at the top of the order, Alex Stewart. Um, and then Australia looked nip and tuck all the way until uh, a ninth wicket partnership between uh, Stuart McGill. And Steve Ward just seemed to make it advantage Australia. Bad ball. And there it goes. Well played, Alex Stewart. That ball's running very fast over the outfield again. And they will run for a chance of doing that at the MCG. A big ground. Lovely innings. One of the best. Good day's play. Plenty of runs, wickets falling. McGill, and three for 61. Ah! Big shout. That's out. Yes, they're all out. Bowled out for 270. Another duck to Mowawi. Four for McGill. Good day's cricket. It's in the air, and it's safe. They'll run two. 17 test hundreds for Stephen Moore. He's gone this time. That's good bowling. Yes, he tested him out. Superb bowling by Darren Goff. Blue shot from Lehman. Five for 151. That's good cricket from Darren Goff. There's a catch. They call it. That's gone. He's bowled. How about that? He gave him a bounce, which he should have done. Struck maybe the shoulder or the bat. But bounced back onto the stump. So England have bowled Australia out for 340. So a lead on first innings, uh, but once again, a bit of frustration at the end. And uh, if I remember rightly, Alex Stewart uh, got a fair amount of cop for uh, not trying to get uh, Steve Waugh out and just trying to get Stuart McGill, who uh, <laughs> just uh, threw the bat around. I mean, to be honest, Stuart McGill, how he didn't get out, I'll never know. Every <laughs> oh. time it was just off the stumps, it, he'd miss it or whatever. Every time it was on the stumps, he'd get back on it. It was like there was a force field around his stumps. It was just unbelievable. I mean, he cannot bat, and and he just he'd swish, he'd miss, and then he'd swish on ones that on something and get them, and it was just it was I couldn't get over how he got those runs. To be fair, Steve Waugh used to bat like that when you used to bowl <laughs> at Steve Waugh. You fancied getting him out, Dino, didn't you? As as a bowler, every time you bowled at him, 
you could ball four good deliveries at him, he'd miss all four, and then he'd hit you for two fours to finish the over. And that's the type of player Steve Waugh, wasn't he? he just never, nothing ever phased him. Just guts down, and, and, and he was so difficult to bowl at. Quick hands. Quick mm. hands at the, you know, extremely quick hands. And also, he played on the inside of the ball, so if the ball moved out, he always missed it on the inside. So, um, just clever cricketer, probably... The, the one of the toughest people I've had to bowl to because I always felt that he was always messing around like either one yard outside of his crease or one yard inside his crease. So he's always changing your lengths. But go, going back to going back to the old game, I remember and you know I, I don't really I, I do care about what fans think and stuff like that about my career. But the biggest thing is about um, what my peers say. And I always remember you, I'd got naught for in that first innings, and you came up to me and you said, I'll bowl with you any day of the week, because it was about effort. Mm. And even though I got naught for, and people would credit me with, with the win at Melbourne, but, you know, if you don't get, if Alec doesn't get 100, or Hickey gets some runs, or, or you get those wickets, it's a team performance. You can't win a test match on your own. And, and to be fair, um, Alan Mullally will to this day say he should have been man of the match for his little 14 cameo. <laughs> and maybe maybe he's got a fair shot there. You know, hitting McGrath for six after four noughts in Test cricket is um, <laughs> is a <laughs> achievement in itself. So, you know, for me, it's great memories going back and, um, and, and, and the emotion afterwards when you got those last two mm-hmm. wickets. I'm not one for jumping around and going, you know, you know, like I don't know what you said at the end, stretching out your arms, but it, you know, it sounded like goat and something off, and um, it was. Um, it was. But but for me, I I just had to. It was like I'd stop fighting, and I was close to. I, was, I think I was quite close to tears really because I couldn't really speak, which is unusual for me. I think we all were, Dino, weren't we, in the dressing room? I think it was an emotional victory because we'd been battered from pillar to post. If you take into the the Obart situation and the media were hammering us, our our own media, the Australian media, and we did, you got it right, we looked along our side and do you know something, out of that team, there were some serious fighters in that team who were really proud to play for England and we were better than what we showed and that test match and followed it with Sydney was proper fight and that dressing room, I agree with you totally, after that game was emotional. You could see it on everybody's face. They were so happy, so pleased, but they actually got to show they had some serious fight in them. Guys, let me just jump in because uh, we still got... I want to talk about this. We've got plenty more talk about the second innings for both uh, England and Australia, um, but we're just running out of time, so we'll uh, we'll come back to this. And just before we go to a break, I just had a quick look at that scorecard that you were talking about in Hobart in the warm-up before this match. And uh, you're absolutely right. Atherton was told on no account do you give them a target. He got bored and uh, set them a target of 375 and they chased it down in 55 overs with Blewett and Richards scoring uh, big hundreds. So uh, maybe it was uh, a little bit of uh, poetry that he ended up getting a pair in the uh, actual test match. Uh, but we'll cover that very shortly here on Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Test of time! With Darren Goff on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Test of Time on Darren Goff's Cricket Week with me, John Norman, and the main man, Darren Goff. We're midway through one of the best Test matches, uh, certainly in my uh, living memory, and 
of the two of the uh, combatants on that uh, over that three-day period back in 1998, the MCG uh, was uh, playing host to the Boxing Day Test with England uh, 2-0 down and needing a win to keep the series alive. And at the halfway stage, um, Australia with a slender advantage on first innings. England bowled out for 270. Australia replied with 340, even though at one stage they were 250 for eight. And then came England's second innings, followed by Australia with the bat. Same now on 49. That's it. That's his off-century. Made under pressure as well. I think he knows how much responsibility rests on his shoulders. Beautiful time. Down the fence for four. And enjoying it. So he should. Full credit to Alan Mullally. Oh, what a catch. What a catch. He's got it. Rembra Cash all fired up there. Come on, lads, he's saying. Another one or two of those, and we could just swing this one. What a catch. Full length, dive to his right. Beautiful catch. That could make a little bit of a difference. He's got him. Yes, he's gone. It's six for 140. He takes the catch. This game is alive and kicking. Boy, is Headley doing uh, some work out there. That gives him four wickets. That was nicely taken. We're on. For, we're in for a good one now. The Barmy Army are all out of their seats. The Union Jacks are flying. And for the first time in this series, England look as if they could just sneak in. Got him! He's bowling! It's 9 for 162. Well, the got to do it, Tony. What a delivery. He's produced that Yorker a few times. He did it to Nicholson in the first innings. That's a magnificent delivery. Very, very tough ball to face first up. Comes Scott. Hit him on the toe. He's getting him. He's got a run. A great win for England at the MCG. What a test match. What a performance by the England bowlers. Morelli, Hedley, and in the end, Gump. A magical moment for test cricket on this ground once again. Wow, so many memories. Uh, so England's second inning starting 70 behind. And we all know the, the script. Uh, they should get skittled. The pressure should be too much. The home fans on the back of the English. Uh, but despite taking a couple of early wickets, actually, they toughed it out. Stewart with 50, Hussain with 50, Hick with a 60. And then right at the end of the innings, um, what you were mentioning just before the break, uh, Dean, uh, Alan Mullally, who was recognised as uh, probably the worst batsman in international cricket, coming out to face... <laughs> Um, the the greatest of them all, uh, present company not included, of course, Glenn McGrath, and he hits him back over his head for a couple of boundaries, and that just edges um, the score to one that maybe um, just turned it to one that you thought you could defend. I mean, Al, um, Al's brilliant, right, because he's basically an Australian-English-adopted um, West Indian <laughs> Who he, thinks he, he's Wazzy Mackerel? Richards, right? <laughs> and um, he used to—I mean, he was on four noughts, right? So he'd already got his Audi, and then he was going for his Olympic rings. And it was like not joking, dress room. Nobody wanted that to happen, but you know, it was like you know, his, his confidence was always there. So he goes out, and I promise you, he fully expected to do what he did, whether. He could, you know, cash that check. 
But he he would have chatted to McGrath and gone, you know, I'm going to smack you or whatever. And um, even to this day, he just says, well, we won by 12 and I got 14. And he's right. The thing is, the thing is though, guys, and if you'll just excuse me, just this self-indulgence, just for 60 seconds or so, but when people ask me what my favourite Ashes memory is of all time, it's that. It's that moment. Because there I was, listening on the radio, and what people forget is that all of England's innings, pretty much, apart from the first two wickets, and all of Australia's innings, happened on the same day. I think it was the longest day's play ever in a test match because of that rain you were talking about, Goffey. So there I was on a Sunday night or Monday night, I can't remember, but I had to be up at work the next day. And like every cricket fan, you always listen for the next wicket or you listen to the tea break or the drinks break or whatever it is. But in the dead of night, everyone else asleep in the house, lights off, there I was listening to England trying to eke out the second innings, the lead. And the commentary on Test Match Special when Alan Mulally, I've never heard it since, but <laughs> they describe it, okay? Alan Mulally walks to the crease and they describe him as almost like some guy with a bit of hay sticking out of his, out of his mouth, like a country bumpkin, walking to the crease, gormless look on his face, and the commentators, when he hits Glenn McGrath, of all people... Back over his head, the commentators were crying with laughter. And 12,000 miles away, in a small bedroom in the dark in South London, I was crying with laughter as Alan Mulally added those 20 runs. And then what happened? Well, over to you, Dean Headley. Alan Mulally is an opening bowler, and I can tell you now, his greatest thing that ever happened in his career, he will start that. (laughs) Right, <laughs> not, a, not a wicket, not anything else. He will say that moment in Melbourne when he took them on. That's what he will be most famous for. And and you know he just he just said and he walks in as though you think that he was like he just scored hundred or whatever. But in his own <laughs> head and in our head, really, that that is the equivalent of what he did. Do you know something, Dean? We were two hundred and twenty-one for nine, right? We had a leader hundred and fifty-one when Alan Malala went to the crease. And we managed to get up to one so one five one. We had no chance. Let's, let's be honest about it. I think the mentality behind it would have been: this is how important that little knock from Malali was. Two two one for nine, lead of hundred and fifty one. Malali comes to the crease, couple of good fours. Like I said, after having four ducks on the trot, by the way, <laughs> he goes there and manages sixteen. We get up to 175. And credit to Hickey. Hickey played wonderful that test match, both innings. Stewie was uh, awesome as well. And Nasser, a gutsy 50 in that second innings. So well, now... How did, un- how, did Hick, how did Hick and Stewart play? They, they played positively. Yeah, Hick both innings. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what we wanted to see more of Hickey, didn't we? Um, yeah. Hickey was a great player. And all the criticism he get, I still don't get it because... He is a fantastic player and one of the best I ever played with. Um, but towards the end of that tour, he played like the hick we had all seen playing county cricket. I thought he was magnificent in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, it's... No, Hickey's a funny one because, uh, look, if anybody asked me who are the best English players I bowled to, I'd say Rampakash and Hick. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, right? And I don't care what people say, I know what it is like bowling to them. Now, 
the only thing that we did wrong with those is, well, we did wrong with all the cricketers in the 90s, and it was man management. Mm. And it's simple as that. Um, there's, there's not a question in my mind that we've got talent. I just think that the way that people thought... England was a team that you went to represent. England now is a club that you join, and that's the difference. Mm. Great point. Um, would we be talking about this match 20 years later if oh, don't, Mark, please, Ram- please. If, if Mark Ramprakash hadn't taken that catch of Justin Langer? Do you know what? Ramprakash's catch, Goff's five wickets, Stewart's 100, Hicks 50. We wouldn't be talking about any of it. You know, Mullally's 16. Um, yeah. But I think what it was, it was such a dramatic out of the the last, you know, the last 20% of that test match where we outgunned them and suddenly, you know, maybe they were a bit, com- maybe they were complacent. Maybe they thought they got the game won. Um, but that just shows the spirit in their side that we didn't give up. Do you know, when it comes on, on that, um, I, I think the catch did turn it. Um, we knew reverse swing was going to be a pa- factor and, and England's probably best two reverse swing bowlers of... <laughs> right up there probably ever, were Headley and Goff, right? If we're going to be honest, natural swing bowler in Mullally, um and Fraser was the guy who just hit hit the right lens. That that was the attack. So me and Headley knew if the ball started reversing, we had a chance. But they had an unbelievable batting line-up. Um, and I just think that catch, um, I remember it, pulled shot to ramps, dived full stretch, caught it. And you could see in his face, the passion in his face, which... Not many people saw that one, Ramps, did they? They just saw Ramps with this chilled-out guy. But I tell you what, he was one of the most passionate players I played with. And that catch, Mullally just didn't let us know nothing had happened, didn't he, Al? Al was away <laughs> with the fairies. But for... do, you remember, do you remember when we played Victoria in um, in the actual warm-up game? And um, they had this really big, fast bowler, uh, Ali, was it? Yeah. Um, massive he was. Phil Alley, yeah. Left yeah, armour, yeah. And then Ramps thought he said something to me when he was batting, and Ramps basically did what he did in that test match, but went right up to him and confronted him. I think Ramps was looking at his waistline, but, like, looking up at him. And that's the passion that he had. He didn't care who it was. I mean, his nickname, Blood Axe, that's, that says it all. You know, he when he went and his eyes went, that was it. But, yeah, great fighter. And, you know, for me, watching... I mean, what's really funny is that he's now England's batting coach and Hicks now Australia's batting coach. <laughs> so that just says everything to me. Um, whenever you look back at 1981 and there's uh, Bob Willis, you know, he's just got his, his face on, isn't he? He's just got his eyes and he's not actually on this planet anymore and it's just one of those bowling spells to end all bowling spells. Did you go into a... Into your own little Bob Willis world as you were coming in to uh, take four for four? I think I can speak, um, you know, safely for, for both Goffey and I. You, give, you, ask, you ask us if we want a bowl, we'll take the ball. And that is what I built my whole career on. Um, you know, I wouldn't have played for England if I didn't have that, that desire to just bowl. So every captain I played for would say, you know, if it's half past five at night... Um, you've, I've got naught there, you'll still be able to come and give me the ball and I'll take it. And I think that, you know, we, you talk about three hours, 50 minutes. 
it wasn't just the rain. There was loads of rules that came in, and they've changed all the laws now to stop that ever happening. But um, England, England, just before tea, um, got bowled out, so they took tea early. Um, Australia would be on the run rate, so we had to, to be on the over rate, so we had to make up their overs. We had rain on the first day, and then Steve walked around the extra half hour. But I think, I, I don't know how many overs we bowled, 18? 18, something like that, Goffey, between, you know, each in that in that second innings. And that's a lot of overs. But, you know, to do that, you just got to dig deep. And, and I think there's a sadistic side of fast bowling that you hate the hard work, but you love it as well. We bowled 45 overs each, Dino, in that game. 45 mm. overs each. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of overs. Would you agree with what I'm saying, Goffey, that... that, that there's something about the hard work that you and the, and the and the pleasure that you get out of it after you've done it. But while you're doing it, you're thinking, "This is hard," but you do it. Yeah. Well, you know, three, three and a half hours, Dino, and things like that. Three and a half hours we spent in the field, and that extra half hour, I always remember Alex Stewart flicking off the bales uh, because he wanted to get us off. Steve War said, "Whoa, whoa, what's he doing here?" <laughs> Two guys who were head to head here. Yeah, they're probably good. And we had to carry on. And, and he came up to us, didn't he, Alex? I'll never forget yeah. it. And he said, listen, guys, I can't bring anybody else on. I know you've bowled a lot of overs, but it's you two. If we're going to win this game, it's down to you two. I cannot bring Fraser on now. He said he's been stiff. He's a little stiffened up now. We were on a long spell. Um, I can't bring Al back because he took a, one or two overs to get going. It's down to you two, and you're just going to have to bowl until there's a result now. Um, and then and- straight away, that next over, Nicholson goes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And that was and then, it. You know, with the reversing with the with the two, and but like to be fair, they got your last two deliveries to those two. You know, they're spot on. You know, you, you, they could have easily just eked out those runs, but it was like I'm stood there down at third man, and I'm thinking, not can I get any more wickets? I'm thinking, just knock them over, will you? Just knock them over, because well, we just had to get off the field. Um, and and I can't. I don't think I've ever been so emotional in my whole cricket career. Um, it was just. Um, it was a relief, you know. Uh, it, it was the end of the fight, and it was a relief. And finally, we're going to get some adulation for what we've done. Dean, hold it there. Look, normally this uh, part of the show only goes to two sections, but uh, this is just too good to cut short. So uh, let's uh, keep you going. To, uh, to section three and we can find out uh, just how those celebrations went after the winning wickets were taken by uh, well who else but Mr Goff and you're listening to Mr Goff's show it's Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2 Test of Time with Darren Goff on TalkSport 2 you're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week. Uh, absolutely fascinating interview. Dean Headley, former England bowler, is on the show. Uh, of course, Goffey as well. Looking back at a test match that uh, took place 20 years ago, but seems like it was only yesterday. and We're just getting to the, to the crunch moment, guys. Uh, it's, it had been a long day. You'd already been bowling for three and a half uh, hours. Uh, Alex Stewart wanted you off the field. Steve Waugh knew that you guys were absolutely knackered on your last legs. Uh, they'd put on a few runs. Matt Nicholson, who never played another Test match, actually he turned up playing for Surrey a few years later. Um, he'd put on a few, but if anyone was going to do it, um, with three wickets left, it was uh, Headley and Goff. And I suppose it was just a case of rolling your socks up and getting to the top of your mark and just trying to give it your all. But uh, give us an idea about where, where you were 
in your mind, in your head at that uh, time as the shadows were lengthening? I think with me, I was, I was pretty fresh. I think Dino had been the one who had bowled uh, a long spell and it must have been draining for him because he just kept taking wickets. I mean, it, and that kind of keeps you going uh, as well. But for me, I just wanted to be there. I wanted us to win uh, that game. I was desperate to, to do it. Steve Waugh was at the crease. So if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, I was thinking we're probably not going to win this deep down because Steve Waugh, if he's there at the end, we don't win. Uh, but it ended up we did, <laughs> and he was there. But Dino must have been on his last legs because Dino was in the middle of a long, long spell. But he took that single, didn't he? So mm. Steve will always believe that you take the runs that you can get. And I think if he'd have farmed the strike and just refused to take the runs, he just would have worn us down. Um, but he, he opened up Nicholson to um, um, to be exposed, to be bowled to, but... The, the, the one thing, the one thing that got me as well in that test match, I think if we'd had DRS with it reverse swinging, I think we would have got the wickets a lot quicker because I think Fleming, we had to get him out about four times. He must have been plumb LBW about four times. Nicholson the same because all they were doing was just putting their foot down the wicket. Um, and when you reverse swing it now, I mean, there's so many more wickets that are given, and you could say that about Australia reverse, but with the way that we were bowling. They were getting hit on the pad so many times. Um, so that sort of had that feeling that it was never going to come because will they be? Will the wickets be given? Um, but yeah, uh, once, once Steve Ward decided that he was going to claim the extra half hour, it was. I'm not sure that it would have been great for us to go in at that time because I don't think we would have woken up great and thought, <laughs> right, we're going to hit yeah, strap straight away because you know you would have had fatigue in your legs. I think the best thing that happened to us that Steve Waugh took that extra half hour, I think we were either going to get it out of the centre or we were never going to do it. Mm, definitely. It's funny, you should, funny you should say that, though, because wasn't it that year that you beat South Africa the the morning after? You you needed two wickets. Yeah, Goffey, that was you it, got, didn't uh, yeah, yeah, I was so, there again. <laughs> yeah, that, and I tell you what, talking about... Talking about DRS, that one would have been overturned if they'd had no, one. No, it won't. We've left they've done in the that. Bank. No, no, I'm not having that. If the original decision was out, it was still in the stump, so it would have been uh, retained. The decision <laughs> would have stood. So I'm not having that one at all. I've looked at that okay. in close, and they've done that, and it was still it in the stumps. It was okay, given out. Okay. So, okay. but he's right. Let's get back I think to Dino, Melbourne. Hang on a minute. I think Dino was right there. He's but DRS now. With, back in those days, they never used to give them. So people like Dicky Burr when he was umpiring. Mm made his reputation of giving not out. As a not-outer. Yeah, a not-outer, and he got respected all around the world and he kept winning the umpire of the year because he gave not-outers. And <laughs> that's the way it was back then. People were respected for not giving it out unless it was 110% it in the stumps. And, oh, dear me, during that test, like I said, I think it had been a three-day test match if it wasn't for the... Um, if it wasn't for... If it was for... DR, if we'd have had DRS... Yeah, so, because so Fleming, ten... Fleming, was a reverse, Fleming could reverse swing it, yep. but generally there was, they, that's, that's all they had that could do. And Fleming was a fantastic bowler, you know, blighted by injury as well, but, you know, f- unbelievable bowler. Um, very clever, you know, little little nuances about his bowling. Um, but then, you know, we had two, as, as Goffey said, both of us, before before we came along, you had, like, Craig White who could do it, um, myself and Goff, really, who were the reverse swing bowlers that could bowl in England. And that's why we could bowl with the um, with the Cookerbird ball. 
I never had a problem with the kookaburra ball because actually with the lack of seam on it, it helped it reverse swing. Hmm. So Goffey, always the man for the moment, steps up, <laughs> takes the last two wickets, takes the glory. Uh, Dean, you were saying you, you, you're not necessarily an emotional man on the fields, but uh, this is something special on the field. And tell us a little bit about both of you guys, about the uh, what, what it must have been like in the dressing room afterwards. Well, go on, Dino. Well, for me, it was it was it's quiet. For for me, I, I couldn't. I just shut down basically, and um, and I, I always I remember um, being in the dressing room and all the boys were saying, right, tonight we're get, we're we're going to go out, and it's just going to be the boys. We're going to tell all of our misses, uh, you know, <laughs> that they're going to stay in and everything like that. Yeah. I remember leaving, and there's me and Butch, who were the last two people to leave. And I get back to this hotel foyer where it is going crazy. There's a bar right next to our hotel, connected to the hotel, owned by the hotel. Stamford, we stayed Stamford in Plaza. These, yeah, we we stayed in these, um, like, um, they were, it was like an apartment hotel, so it was really nice. And um, I remember my girlfriend at the time coming up to me and going like that. And the first thing I said to her was, um, we've, we've made a decision, the boys just want to have a beer on their own for about an hour before anything happens. And then she burst into tears. And I'm going, well, what's my matter? And she says, well, that's not what the boys said. And I was like, so I'd come back to the hotel, step to the party line, because I think it was important that the boys sort of celebrated together. But unfortunately, it all turned down by the time I got there. We're all under the thumb, mate, let me tell you, because I would say exactly the same thing and it just didn't happen. I think what... I think what we're trying to do is celebrate that moment together as a team. And I think we did within the dressing room. From the moment um, we took those last two wickets in and over, like I said, Dino's got it spot on. So emotional. For me to pick that stump up, I remember Mark Butcher running to get a stump, probably for you, Dino. And um, I put the stump over my head and I said a few swear words that... um, um, I, exactly, I meant every word where the Aussies can stick that stump because what they've been saying to us and writing about us for the last uh, five weeks uh, had finally got to me and it was emotional. In the dressing room, I've never... That's it, that was one of the greatest dressing rooms I've been part of uh, for the next hour. Dino got man of the match. He had to go off and do his interview, so he was quite emotional. Um and then, as I said, we went back to the dress, uh, the hotel. He got it spot on. I've, I've never seen a, uh, anything like it. We had families and friends and supporters all outside the hotel. We got the guard of honour going into the hotel. And I think we had every intention of all the lads just having a drink together. And I think the families wanted to be part of it. And, and, and too right when I look back now. And we all sat down, didn't we, in the Stanford, um, in that hotel, in the bar there, like you said, it was quite a lively bar and we were singing songs and all the families were with us and we had a nice little drink and it was one of the best one of the best moments um, I've ever had, I'll be honest with you. And I'm, I'm there with Dino. It was just, everybody was so emotional, so tired and relieved and happy. Every supporter had gone out there and they paid a lot of money to go out for the dream trip to Australia, had seen an England team fight and get a result in the Boxing Day test, which um, it was fantastic. Do you still have the stumps? Yeah. Me too, yeah. I've still got the stump. I've not framed it yet, but I've still got the stump. Eventually, I'll get round to framing... It's only taken 20 years. Yeah. Do you know something? I'll eventually get round to printing the scorecard off. Um, I've got the stump uh, from that game. All that stuff is important, right? But do you know what? If, it, if I lost it all tomorrow, the only thing is that feeling inside that you can't mm. put on a piece of paper, you can't put in a frame. 
and that those are the things that stay with you. So when you, when I mean, people ask me a lot of the time. They go, "What's Goffey like?" And I go, "We played in about four Test matches together, opening the bowling, and we've taken forty-four wickets together." Yeah. And so, you know, it was quite a successful partnership when we actually got on the field together. But the one thing I'll say, and is that what's Darren Goff like? He is a little boy who's playing his dream job. And that's how I always felt. It wasn't about being a professional cricketer. It was about, basically, it could have been Darren Goff in the backyard and he'd still play the same way as he did playing test cricket. And that's one of the things that, I mean, I don't know. Are you younger than me? I don't know. Uh, I think you are a little bit. But 47, I am. Yeah, you're younger than me, but, in the, but you're a senior cricketer to me, if you know what I mean. So I came in looking at how to play cricket, and I still think England cricketers play their best when you take the pressure off and just let them play. And I think in the 90s, very few cricketers, Darren being one of them, had the, had the character to be able to just go, I'll do it my way. And that's the a, that's a difference between the players now, Butler, Bairstow, all of them. Yeah, they've had a bit of a shocker in Australia, but... They've come back in the one-day series, and they're exactly like that. They play, but they also know they're going to get backed. And so that, I think that's the big difference between England players today and England players then. Tell you what, Coffee, I think we've got a conversation about this. And, uh, you know, the fact is, Dean, I know that uh, you had your injury problems, but you only played a couple more uh, test matches after that one. Um, and it'd be fascinating to, uh, to get you on and maybe, uh, maybe when you're in London. Uh, in the next uh, few weeks or months and come in and see us and we can have a proper look back at uh, at the career, not just uh, Melbourne 1998. No, I'd love that. Thanks. We'll, we'll need a couple of hours because he can talk, <laughs> you know. He's, that's definitely not changed. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Goffrey. Cheers, pal. Well, it certainly makes for better radio when uh, when your contributors or your guests uh, can talk as well as uh, Dean Headley just there. Absolutely marvellous looking back at that. Brilliant. I've, I had goosebumps. I was just sitting back and listening to you guys for most of that. Uh, and I hope uh, you guys listening, you guys and gals listening out there, even if you can't remember the Test match, enjoyed it as much as we did. You're listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. Online and on DAB Digital Radio. Darren Goff's Cricket Week on Talk Sport 2. Absolutely brilliant stuff there, Goffy. Uh, Dean Headley, that was uh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, looking back at the MCG 20 years ago, at the end of this year anyway. Uh, fantastic stuff. And uh, we've got another great test of time for you on uh, Darren Goss Cricket Week next week as well. But uh, before the end of the show, it's that time of the week where we uh, pick a county and just see how they're, uh, they're looking ahead of the county championship and the, uh, the Vitality T20 Blast and all the other good stuff. And I'm pleased to say that alongside uh, myself and Goffey is uh, the former Essex uh, all-rounder, uh, Derek Pringle. Derek, uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Um, I suppose before we look ahead to this year, a little look back to 2017, because it was uh, quite a remarkable season for everyone connected to the club. It was indeed. I mean, you know, I think speaking to some of my chums at Essex who go and watch them pretty frequently, they, 
they were saying uh, their expectation was that they just hoped to stay up, you know, survive and stay up in Division One because every time they'd been promoted in the past, they'd gone straight back down again. But, you know, the expectations suddenly changed because they got off to a great start, having saved a few uh, draws early on or saved a few matches early on with draws um, and obviously had the, the services of Alistair Cook. He batted brilliantly for them, got them got them on the road and, and they never looked back. I mean, the, the, the bowling... Uh, Simon Harmon, Jamie Porter, just superb. I think that's where you, you, when you look at it. I mean, it just goes to show, let's be honest about this. If you can get off to a good start in the county championship, there's no reason you don't want to win it because you, you, you've played uh, Pring. And when you get on a run, in a, normally in a one-day competition, you keep it going, don't you? You get that momentum. But it seems that way now with the championship as well. It happened with Middlesex. It's happened with Yorkshire. And now it happened with Essex, who surprised everyone, if we're going to be honest, to win it. I mean, having Alistair Cook available and playing so well at the start of the season, I think was a big part of that as well. Oh, absolutely. But but it's interesting. I, I, I just think in four-day cricket, teams sort of set up not to lose because they just figure that if you don't lose and you pick up a few wins on the way... You, you can you can be in the mix for, for the championship at the end of the season, but and, and you know Middlesex when they won it two years ago, they only won six games, <laughs> six matches out of out of whatever they played fourteen was it, um, and 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 that was the difference I think Essex actually kept winning. Um, what about the changes then this year, Derek? I, I see that a couple of Aussies are uh, one of them's heading back to uh, to Essex. Peter Siddle's going to be around for the first few uh, championship games, I think. Adam Zampa's going to be part of the T Twenty uh, uh, team as well. Siddle uh, seems to have a, uh, had a bit of a renaissance. Certainly done the do's uh, in this part of the world over the last couple of months, and I, I suppose the kind of player um, that you'd like to have in your in your four day team. Yeah, I think I think Essex like like guys who turn up and 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 give it their all on, on a daily basis. Now, in the past, uh, I'm not saying just Essex here, but other teams have found perhaps the, the overseas stars. You know, can't do that. The grind of county cricket wears them down. But someone like Siddle, I mean, just his personal pride to keep him going. But I think he's probably been signed because they're, I think they're having trouble securing. Uh, the availability of Mohamed Amir, who uh, obviously bowled pretty brilliantly for them at the back end of the season last year. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think um, Adam Zampa came in for the T20 Blast, um, you know, interesting signing. Short boundaries at Chelmsford. I'll tell you what, though, it just goes to show, though, um, with Peter Siddle, everybody basically written him off uh, thought it was the end of his career. You have a good final, you have a good uh, big blast in Australia and everybody wants to sign you again. <laughs> it just goes to show uh, one good game, and I think it is that way now, one good game in front of the watching millions and you can be back on the, uh, you can be back on the run. People are easily swayed, Darren. Well, they are. And Peter Siddle, <laughs> I mean, I think he is someone, I think, he, I think he's a decent signing. I don't think he's a great signing. Um, I, I think he has struggled with injury in his past, in the past, especially when he comes to England. Uh, back injuries have, have let him down. But early season, if there's a little bit in the wicket with his experience, the liney balls, um, he, he might turn out to be a very clever signing. Well, that's that's the gamble they're taking, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, the, the um, with Siddle, the 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 the, uh, the mind is willing, as it were, but mm. will the body be willing? I mean, that's yeah. the gamble they're taking. Uh, a big year for uh, Tom Wesley last uh, year. I suppose it was the best of times, the call up, and the worst of times, not making the squad for Australia, and then uh, picking up. Uh, I think he got a, a finger injury, didn't he? But uh, you know, he's still in the 
in the running, I suppose. There's still places up for grabs within that test side and uh, a good season for him. You imagine he'd still be in the frame. Well, absolutely. I mean, England have <laughs> covered themselves in glory in Australia, but I don't think, I don't think, to be honest, that uh, without Stokes, I really expected them to be you know, close to even competing in the Ashes. Uh, I thought they'd be lucky to draw it and maybe reclaim the Ashes that way with Stokes on the side, but without him, uh, I thought you know they struggled. Um, yeah, I think um, batting-wise, Wesley's just going to get his head down and, and, and put runs on the board, you know. Scoreboard pressure. Get the selectors with scoreboard pressure. Uh, Derek, thanks for joining us, matey. Uh, No doubt we'll uh, be speaking to you very shortly. It'll be uh, fascinating to see how Essex do this year. Uh, Goffey, uh, on the back of um, Dean Headley, Brian Murgatroyd um, has tweeted saying, I was England media manager at the time and still look back fondly on the YouTube clips of that match. That last session will be with me until I die. Incredible stuff. Um, I didn't realise he was a media manager. Yeah, he was. He was. Murgers. Mm. Yeah, good lad he is. Top mum. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much all we've got time for. It's absolutely flown by. Big thanks to to, uh, Derek Pringle. Uh, for uh, joining us just then. Dean Headley, of course, absolutely marvellous. I might listen back to that, actually. Uh, Looking back to the MCG, 1998. Gary Wilson, uh, looking ahead to Ireland's qualifiers. Hopefully they make it to the World Cup alongside West Indies. Uh, Ian O'Brien, former Black Cap, but on the challenges awaiting England in New Zealand, where I am. And um, uh, also Ryan Sidebottom, right at the start of the show, looking back at England's uh, matches against Australia. It's been absolutely brilliant, Goffey. Absolutely loved it and uh, looking forward to this time next week. Yeah, brilliant. Enjoyed it, mate. See you next week. Brilliant stuff. Uh, you've been listening to TalkSport 2. And uh, if uh, you have missed part of the show, you can always go on iTunes or go to uh, TalkSport.com just to listen back to uh, parts of Cricket Week that you may have missed. Uh, but for now, that's about it. We'll be back on TalkSport 2, 8 till 10 p.m. Monday nights, every Monday night. But that's uh, about all we've got for you. You've been listening to Darren Goff's Cricket Week on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.